Welcome to today's Amunah Minute. This week we have the incredible privilege to begin Chumash Devarim. And in Chumash Devarim, the Torah begins, These are the things that Moshe Rabbeinu relayed to the Jewish people as they stood in the Transjordanian lands poised and ready to enter into Eretz Yisrael. And Moshe Rabbeinu begins to list a series of locations. Lavan, Chatziros, Dizahav, and Rashi comments, and Rashi says, we've looked around and we don't find any place with these names. Which leads Rashi to understand that in fact the names of these places were actually not the names of particular geographic locations, but rather again the names represented, I should say, alluded to different averos that the Jewish people had committed over the course of their 40-year sojourn in the desert. So one name alluded to the fact that they complained about the Mon. Another place alluded to the fact that they used the gold that they took out of Egypt to build the golden calf. And interestingly enough, Rashi doesn't ask the question, but you could infer from his words that he's bothered by this idea. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu rebuking them now? Some of these events occurred, almost all of these events, occurred more than 40 years earlier. So Moshe, if you're upset about the building of the golden calf, if you're upset about complaining about the man, why not rebuke them earlier on? Why are you waiting now? First of all, Moshe Rabbeinu is about to die. Remember, Chumash Tevarim are his final moments, his final days, weeks, and months in this earth. And he has so much he's trying to give them, so much trying to convey to them. Why rebuke them now? Why bring it up now for things that occurred more than four decades ago and you didn't even rebuke them four decades ago? And Rashi says something amazing. Rashi says that Moshe Rabbeinu purposely waited until the end of his life in order to go ahead and bring up these misdeeds. Why? Listen to the words of Rashi. Shelo mochichan. In order that he shouldn't come to rebuke, and rebuke them again. See, what Moshe Rabbeinu was concerned about was as follows. If I give them Musr, constructive Musr, constructive feedback, constructive critique, if I go ahead and I highlight to them their mistakes, there's a concern about doing that over and over and over again. Moshe Rabbeinu purposely waits until the end of his life to rebuke the people for their misdeeds and not rebuke them in order to chastise them, but to rebuke them in order that they can grow from their mistakes, understand their mistakes, understand the collateral damage that their mistakes have brought about. But Moshe Rabbeinu Dafko waits until the end of his life, in order that he does not end up perpetually critiquing or chastising them. And who does Moshe Rabbeinu learn this from? Says Rashi, from Yaakov Avinu. That Yaakov does not go ahead and rebuke or chastise his sons for their misdeeds until Parshas Vayichi, until he's on his deathbed. Why? See, my dear, because Yaakov was concerned if I begin to chastise them when I'm young, I may continue to do it over and over and over again. And what a profound idea. Sometimes people who we care about deeply hurt us and they wrong us, or we see them do terrible things. And so there's a mitzvah, there is a mitzvah to give positive and constructive feedback, maybe even rebuke, maybe even musr, when I see someone that I love do something wrong. But sometimes we make the mistake of beating people up, figuratively, verbally, over and over and over again for the same mistakes. Whereas really what I'm supposed to do is give the musr, give the rebuke, give the words, give the instruction, give the critique, and then move on, and then let it go.
How many times does it happen in Shalom bias? Does it happen in marriages? Where a couple have a disagreement about the particular issue, and it's amazing. Once the floodgates of disagreement are open, oh my gosh, and you did this. When did I do it? Five years ago, on the second Tuesday of the month, you did this, but I apologized for that, and you forgave me for that, but yet you're still holding on to it. How many times does it happen that we go ahead and we regurgitate negative history over and over and over again? When reality, after we hash out an issue, whether the we is a husband and a wife, a parent and a child, siblings and friends, you got to let it go. You have to let it go. Because there is a danger in regurgitating and in reliving discord and fallout and animosity and disagreement over and over and over. You see, if you constantly bring up the misdeeds of the past, then they have an inability to heal and you can't create positive relationship, relationship trajectory going forward. Who do you learn this from? From Moshe Rabbeinu. And who did he learn it from? Yaakov Avinu. Moshe purposely doesn't rebuke the people until the end of his life in order to avoid the trap of Mochichan Uchozer Mochichan, constantly beating people over the head with their misdeeds over and over and over again. Sometimes you have to give your feedback, you have to give your critique, sometimes even your musr, and then you have to learn to let it go. Imagine how much more shalom we would have in our lives if we learned to let go. Imagine if spouses, after the fight was done, and everybody forgives and makes up, imagine if they really let go. Imagine if they really let it go and just let it be part of our relationship, historical past, filed somewhere far away, never to be brought up again. Imagine how much healing could happen in relationships. You know, it's what we ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu all the time. We ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu not to hold on to the sins of the past. We ask HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I did tshuva, let it go. Let it go, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And you know what the tells us? The truth is, I'll let it go if you let it go. If we let go of the misdeeds of the past for one another and don't keep bringing it up over and over and over, then perhaps HaKadosh Baruch Hu will do the same for us as well. Wishing everyone a wonderful day.